Hi, I'm Alicia Ratliff, and right here next to me is Christopher Ratliff, and we both run a consulting firm named Victus Consulting Ventures. We started this firm about two years ago with the idea to help uh, operators and licensed producers uh, understand how to get into building a cannabis business and finding that successful long-term um, longevity within their business. about our Curious About Cannabis events, go to cacpodcast.com slash events. And if your company would like to become an event sponsor, visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn more. Hey, everybody, this is Jason with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today I'm really stoked to be reconnecting after quite some time, almost about six months or so, but uh, reconnecting with the Ratliffs here. I'm here with Alicia Ratliff and joining the show for the first time, Christopher Ratliff. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show and joining us for the first time. And Alicia, thanks so much for joining us once again. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, we've been doing some work together for a while, uh, education around extraction and our last podcast episode, we talked about sustainability within, um, laboratories and quality issues and all of that sort of thing. Um, what have y'all been up to since then? I know a lot has, has transpired since we last caught up with each other. Oh yeah. We've been doing a lot of traveling. We've been everywhere from Ohio to North Carolina to a little island off the coast of France. And now we're sitting in the middle of the Swedish forest. It's it's raining pretty bad. So if you can hear the rain, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> That's a nice uh, ambiance. Yeah, yeah. It'll add to the ambience of the uh, podcast. Uh, but right now, what we're doing uh, front and center is working with a biotech company. It's kind of one of our bigger projects right now, uh, working in the surfactant field with a biosurfactant. And one of the main lanes that we're targeting first, because it has so many different applications, one of the main lanes that we're targeting first is the cannabis industry. Um, what we're primarily going to uh, be researching and developing more on the uh, application side for that is increasing the bioavailability of nutrients for the mm -hmm. plant during the cultivation process, and also with nano emulsification for CBD and THC water-soluble products. Uh, to increase the stability of them for the shelf life. Yeah. Odorless, tasteless. It's going to be great. And don't forget my personal favorite too. It, it has some other uh, properties that are uh, antiviral and also help with the aging process. So we'll be, we'll be looking into this technology in beauty creams and topicals that are infused with THC and CBD as well. So mm -hmm. I'm really cool. excited about, about cool. that. Yeah. So it's it's about more than just using it as a tool to get other compounds, you know, uh, absorbed by the body or whatever, but they actually have some, uh, functional use, um, of their own as well. That's interesting. And I'm, I'm really 
stoked to learn about this because I'm, you know, I mentioned right before we started recording that I've never really, I don't think I've really talked much about the science of nano emulsification and the use of surfactants and um, all of that stuff. And I think people are familiar with, you know, they've heard about uh, CBD infused water and THC infused water and, you know, um, uh, that sort of thing. And some folks I think have a sense that, you know, these nano emulsified products are in some ways stronger or something like that. Um, but there's still a lot of, I think, confusion <clears throat> on what these products are and how they're made. And, and there's two things I want to dive into on the science because you just opened up two awesome doors. One is obviously the nano emulsified products. I think people are very interested to hear about the science behind that. Um, but also the first thing you said about the applications for cultivation as well. Um, I want to make sure we talk about that because I think that that's something that uh, probably gets even less attention in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about how do we make these compounds more bioavailable to humans, but then thinking about how to make certain types of nutrients uh, more bioavailable for a plant is um, a very interesting flip side to that. Um, but let's start with the um, these nano emulsified extracts that are being formulated um, often into... Uh, edibles and things like that. Um, yeah. Do you mind just kind of painting a broad picture for our listeners of just how that all works and what does nano emulsified mean? And, and we'll just kind of spin out from sure. there. Absolutely. So I, I love the nerdy questions. Those are my favorite. Um, so oh, if yeah. we talk about, let's just, you know, take it back to infusions period, right? So usually you have an extract and then at the end of having that extract, you're like, okay, this isn't going to go and sit on the shelf for a consumer brand. You're going to have a tincture, a vape cartridge, an edible, like you mentioned, a drink. There's all sorts of products that are now forming in the industry because it's no longer niche. It's also coming into more of a commodity that you're seeing in the States specifically. Yeah. So when you're talking about this infusion, one of the biggest issues as a scientist is formulating is being able to um, replicate and reproduce that strength of potency, whether that's THC, CBD, within your, your batches. So if you're going to infuse extract into an edible or something like that, typically you're going to have the issues of um, being able to actually spread that out evenly across the entire batch so that each, uh, let's say your edibles are gummies, each gummy specifically has 10 milligrams in it, and, you know, you can move from there. And that's a very difficult task when you don't have um, oil that's homogenized properly, when you don't have stabilizers or emulsifiers to keep that oil um, within that emulsion. So that's kind of the, the background basis of what brings nano emulsions around. Um, usually you'll bring nano emulsions into it whenever you're talking about uh, infusing the oils into water soluble products, because we all know that oil and water don't mix. So how do we get that to mix? Well, you have to reduce that particle size. So to reduce that particle size down, you find some sort of tech or some sort of technique that you're going to use to be able to reduce that oil particle down. Now that you have, you have to stabilize that. And so the only thing that's out there on the market right now to stabilize that oil particle size is going to be your surfactants that are typically traditional surfactants. And those traditional surfactants, they have applications in the oil and gas industry and usually they're more detergent you know detergenty I guess that's a word today um, that's that's really uh, one of the the special active agents um, and what it does is to you know cause that detergent and wetting agent type of activity so 
that will that'll give you like a, a gasoline or a soapy type of taste um, when you're you know consuming these products. And one of the things that I'm so excited about with this tech is that it's a biosurfactant, meaning that it's completely biological in its in its nature. So you're not going to have those odors and those tastes that are accustomed to the traditional surfactants that you have with chemicals. Instead, you're going to have something that you can infuse and be able to stabilize that emulsion and still be able to really enjoy uh, that beverage. So I know that was kind of a long explanation of, of nano emulsions and why we need a surfactant, um, but typically it's to save um, any of that oil coming out of that reduced particle size and creating a layer um, between your water-soluble product and that oil. Yeah, and I know I've had friends of mine that have tried um, like water, uh, you know, like CBD water and other nano emulsified products, and they've definitely been able to taste that soapy uh, taste of the surfactants used. So this is an interesting mm -hmm. problem that I am excited to follow. Um, and I think it's one that doesn't get a lot of appreciation. And I think, you know, what's interesting to point out, one thing for our listeners that I want to note, the the nano from nano emulsion comes from the, the size of, of how small you're trying to make the um, oil droplets. Um, right. So if you're trying right, to get right. them down to a size of a nanometer, in case anybody was wondering uh, where that came from. Um, but this idea that you like getting these oil droplets into these tiny, tiny sizes and then surrounding them so they can't come back together, you know, it increases mm -hmm. this amount of surface area um, that allows you to do really interesting things. Um, and I think people are familiar with uh, that this can increase bioavailability and absorption to some extent in the body. Mm -hmm. um, but how would this, uh, talking about issues like homogeneity and kind of um, getting more bang for your buck, if you will, with your ingredients, how does this affect product manufacturers? Like why are they, besides just the the kind of potency side, the experience on the end user, what is the um, what are some of the motivations to uh, start to think about this technology? You mentioned homogeneity being one, um, um, but is there are there any other motivating factors that have producers really thinking critically about this? Well, I think a lot of companies are trying to end greenwashing. Mm. You know, uh, consumers are a lot more savvy these days on what they know about your product. Yeah, what they know about true. where you yep. your ingredients. Um, there's a company, I'm not going to say the company's name, there's a company sure. that makes bath bombs, they make soaps, they make lotions. And and they're big on claiming to be as vegan as possible, as green as possible, as environmentally safe as possible. And they're probably going to be one of our target companies that we go after here soon to use our biosurfactant because you, it, for people who don't know what a surfactant is, you, you already touched on it a little bit. It is a surface active agent. Yeah. Um, it reduces the surface tension between liquid gas, liquid solid, and liquid-liquid interactions. And so basically it makes things mix better. And since yeah. you come in contact with surfactants every single day, um, you as the consumer, um, you're going to be looking into these companies and what it is they're putting into their products. And so companies now are trying to quit greenwashing and greenwashing means basically they're telling you that it's environmentally safe 
it's vegan mm -hmm. or it's kosher, etc. But it's really not. They're just right. saying that to get their product sold to you and people aren't falling for it anymore. Yeah. And so um, at Biotech One, uh, we're absolutely dedicated to end this greenwashing problem with something as simple as a biosurfactant. Well, and it ties into your uh, kind of mission that's been going on for all the time that I've known the two of you, which is trying to tackle these, you know, kind of science focused problems in the cannabis industry that also tie into sustainability, um, which uh, I think is, is very, very awesome that that's kind of the um, approach that y'all have had this whole time in terms of, you know, when you're even just thinking about lab design and um, coaching companies on how they need to, <clears throat> you know, coordinate operations and things. There's always a focus on sustainability. So um, I, I definitely uh, think that's something that a lot more <laughs> companies need to be focused on. And I agree, the greenwashing thing is is really huge. It's trendy. Um, you know, to be right. able to put all of these little symbols on your product that show that it's mm -hmm. organic and kosher and everything else under the sun. Um, and I agree, it's all become noise to consumers almost at this point, like all of these labels and things. Uh, it's like people know that they're probably not what they say they are. And, um, you know, folks are looking for things that are truly different and have a hard time sometimes uh, finding those or differentiating them. Cause so I, I definitely, um, agree with that completely. Um, and, uh, let's talk about the cultivation side. Cause we've been, we've been talking about the, uh, like product formulation side, but I would definitely want to talk about the cultivation side. And Chris, I know this is, um, uh, it gotta be swimming around in your brain. Cause I know you've, you've done a lot of cultivation and, uh, that's been, uh, one of your, uh, kind of, folky in um in the industry so where's your brain at in terms of how these surfactants can be used in cultivation and how should cultivators be kind of thinking about this technology well to not jump the gun too far um and also to be careful about what we say uh too sure. early um what the surfactant is researching and developed in, in into becoming is a nutrient, um, more of a nutrient assistant. Mm -hmm. Okay. So hypothetically, if you use the surfactant properly, it will increase the bioavailability of the nutrients to the plant, which could in turn decrease the amount of nutrients that you need to use at one time. Right. Okay. Uh, for your operational cost. And it could also, looking at the potential that it will clean, because a lot of times whenever you're giving the plant nutrients and nutrients and nutrients and nutrients, you're actually clogging the plant up. It's like pores on your face to get filled yeah. with oils and dirts, yeah. and then you've got pimples, and you have all this stuff, and then it can get you, the human being, sick. The plant is, is really very similar. So they have pathways and highways, for a lack of better words, that run all the way through the plant that take the nutrients from the stalk all the way up to the tips of the leaves. And because it is a surfactant and surfactants are known to cling to dirts and, um, and clean things and, and their popular uses as a detergent, uh, one of the 
things we're trying to develop through research is the understanding of its ability to clean these pathways and highways that the nutrients travel inside the plant mm. while simultaneously helping the nutrients get into the plant the way that they're supposed to. And which means you could probably die. You know, everybody's talking about dialing in the lights right. and dialing in your HVAC, which is obviously super important. That dialing in nutrients has to be more than just getting it up to the fill line on your cup mm -hmm. and pouring it in. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, the, the, the science has to be developed into something that's scalable and far more nano, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we can nano tune these things and that could potentially be a use out of the surfactant through Biotech One. You know, yeah. it, it's funny to uh, to mention how it's cleaning the plant as well, because, again, the surfactant has so many different properties. And one of those being antiviral, antimicrobial, mm -hmm. similar to a lot of the cannabinoids. It also can help with pest resistance from the inside of the plant. So most of the time when you have cultivators who are not growing, you know, organically or they're not growing in living soil or anything like that, they're using, um, you know, pesticides or insecticides and things that are on their mm -hmm. compliant list for their market. And that's an, an external application yep. of a pest management system. This would be something to help internally through the plant um, be able to resist uh, different, you know, pests be able to resist powdery mildew, botrytis that happens from inside of the buds. Uh, these, it really is revolutionary when, when you're talking about changing the way that you're, like Chris said, the way you're looking at a lot of these, um, you know, key performing indicators of your operation, you're looking at lights, you're looking at plant per square footage, you're looking at water intake, nutrient intake, but are you really diving deep into not just the ratios and like he said, filling that cup, but really understanding how this plant can operate with a technology like this that is uh, essentially biodegradable, low in toxicity, and it's organic. So it, it just it just makes sense. And it's something I think is going to really catch on with a lot of cultivators because there's still so much irregularity with batches. Mm -hmm. A flower that are produced. There's still so much, so many issues with pesticides and uh, pests in general. There's so many issues with, uh, you know, facilities having to be fully remediated after a complete contamination. So yeah. things like this, you know, people really need to turn their listening ears on to start not only changing the way they think about cultivating the plants, but also like you said, and I think this differentiates, it differentiates us as consultants. We're not just looking for you know, projects to make money off of. We're looking for partners to be able to really shift the the way that the operations are going now, because, you know, with cannabis, everybody just kind of rushed in. It's it's a yep. green rush. Everybody rushed in and they're learning yeah. as they go. And as they learn, why not improve upon what we're doing that will help the environment and also help the plant itself, which in turn helps the consumer that's consuming it downstream. Well, and like you mentioned too, it's, uh, there's also the this, this scalability question that's so important to consider, you know, as, you know, just thinking about the United States, much less <clears throat> the world, as more and more places uh, come online and change their cannabis laws, you know, there's a ton of growing happening at scale. Um, and 
any ways to leverage biotechnology in a way that's safe and sustainable that can allow uh, cultivators of these, you know, sometimes very large grows to use um, less inputs in any way, uh, whether that be uh, nutrients or pesticides or both. Um, you, you're potentially talking about huge cost savings just when you think about it mm -hmm. in terms of dollars, much less, um, you know, trying to preserve, let's say, like soil microbiology by not, you know, applying a lot of stuff that you don't need to apply or preserving local stream quality by getting less runoff or, you know, and, right. and um, protecting consumers. Or you know. your water. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I imagine this is, you know, if any cultivators listening to this that haven't thought about um, the role that this technology could play in cultivation, maybe their ears are, are perking up now because um, anyone that's managing large grows, um, any ways to uh, help boost the plant's natural defenses and ability to take care of itself um, so that other inputs can be reduced, um, that's huge. Um, just economically, mm -hmm. much less environmentally. Um, yep. So that's that's really really exciting. And um, so, are y'all like uh, planning um, a series of cultivation trials right now to kind of see how how this can work um, in the field? Yeah, we have a few um, universities online. Uh, yes. We're having conversations with them right now because. If you if you know about our past a little bit, you know that there's a few universities that we've been known to uh, mm -hmm. deal with and work with. Uh, we'll keep that kind of there for now. But yes, absolutely. We got them on the line ready to do this uh, research and development. Some research and development has already been done, mm -hmm. uh, but we are trying to move it to, I would say, more um, accredited universities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that have a little more integrity. Yeah, and, um, and moving forward, you will absolutely see uh, biotech one at the forefront of the surfactant realm, especially in cannabis. We'll say it yeah. that way, especially in cannabis. Yeah, in cannabis sooner than later. Um, that's exciting because I always like a good reason to follow up later. Um, so <laughs> that'll be that'll be cool. Hey everybody, it's Jason from Curious About Cannabis. If you're as interested in understanding the science of cannabis as I am, then I want to invite you to a really special event, the 2022 Curious About Cannabis Ultimate Learning Experience, happening at ultimate.cacpodcast.com, starting on August 11th and running all the way through Thanksgiving. You'll get to meet and learn from many of your favorite podcast guests from the show, including people like Murphy Murray, Dr. Kevin Spellman, Kyle Boyer, Jonathan Mental, who you might know as Botanic Chemist on social media, Nurse Janice Champagne, Dr. Anthony Smith, Dr. Cody Peterson, and a lot more. Join us as we learn about cannabis botany, chemistry, extraction science, cannabis testing, cannabinoid pharmacology, the endocannabinoid system, and a lot more. Just go to ultimate.cacpodcast.com to sign up today. And when you sign up, you'll get sent a box of awesome educational tools, including uh, both physical and a downloadable version of the Curious About Cannabis book, plus a terpene kit from the workshop, a cannabis journal from Goldleaf, and more. But that's not all. 
every attendee of the Curious About Cannabis Ultimate Learning Experience will get six months of free access to the online Curious About Cannabis Learning Center. And that's home to all sorts of cannabis science self-paced courses, educational resources, including every episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Plus, we may just have a few other surprises for you along the way as well. It's the Curious About Cannabis Ultimate Learning Experience. It starts August 11th. It runs 15 weeks all the way to Thanksgiving. We've never done an event this big before, and truth be told, we might not have a chance to do another one for at least a couple of years. There are currently 15 spots. Oh, wait, nope, make that 14 spots. We have 14 spots open, so if you want to lock in your spot, just go to ultimate.cacpodcast.com and sign up today. That's ultimate.cacpodcast.com. And if you think you're not quite ready to take on the challenge of this workshop as a student, you also have the option of signing up as a spectator. So you can check that out as well. Just go to ultimate.cacpodcast.com to learn more. You know, see how all that plays out and see like a year from now or so um, what you've learned from um, exploring all this. And this this also segues nicely into, you know, some other stuff I wanted to to talk about with both of you, because you've been, you know, you've been doing consulting in the cannabis space for quite a while in, you know, different areas, cultivation and lab design and general operations management and everything. And so I wanted to spend a bit of time kind of, and especially since Chris is here, um, getting both of your thoughts and reflections, I guess, on um, the industry. And, you know, it's in some ways it's changed a lot. And in some ways, some of the dynamics haven't changed a bit. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'd like to hear a bit about um, kind of what y'all have been learning by working with all of these companies in the you know, in the, the science sphere, um, you know, within cannabis, y'all traveled, you know, to different places all over the world, working with different uh, companies that are working with this plant and trying to get operations going. And I feel like it'd be worthwhile to, um, yeah, just kind of reflect on your experiences. And particularly what I'm interested in is to learn about um, the mistakes that companies um tend to make when they're trying to jump into this field, when they've got, you know, ideas in the cannabis space and they think they want to put together a company and jump in. Um, and, and we could break it down into kind of several different groups and maybe start with like the cultivation companies first, companies that are trying to do cultivation. And then we can, you know, talk about extraction and, and other stuff too. But I'm just interested to know where your heads are at because y'all have experienced a lot and there's a lot behind the scenes that, you know, we won't even talk about on the podcast, but I've known y'all for a little right. while now and there's just, y'all have experienced a lot uh, in the industry <laughs> and, and, and worked with a lot of people. And so right. um, I'm just interested to hear where your head's at with the industry and and how these companies are, are operating. Well, when it comes to uh, startup companies and people that are trying to begin a company or begin a brand or a product and the cannabis space and they're not just white labeling because yeah, there's a lot of people yeah. doing white label now which is which is cool man get your money boo boo do you <laughs> yeah, um, yep. but, but when it comes to really trying to start up a uh, a full-fledged operation uh 
quick before we get straight into the cultivation stuff, uh, you know, something that I've noticed that companies really have an issue with coming in online right out the gate is taxes. Mm. They mm-hmm. People don't really understand the implication of what taxes can do to your company and the ch- taxes can change like the weather, depending on who's uh, in office or who's in the mayor's seat and et cetera. Yep. Um, and taxes are actually like a part of your operational expenditures, man. It's not something that can just come on the back end. It's a bill you have to pay, just yep. like your lights and just like your your roof over your head. Taxes are a bill. and it's, But since we... You know, we're not well versed in the specific tax laws of any one area because we travel around different states now. We travel around different countries um, unless we're obviously uh, building a um, OPEX breakdown for a company and Mm -hmm. building a spreadsheet for them. Then sure, we'll look into the taxes and the regulations around uh, money and all that stuff so that we can understand it there. But, you know, we we don't take pride in just understanding everything taxes, but. I think that's kind of one of the, you know, they say there's two things that are sure in life, taxes and death. That's right. Well, if, if you're a brand new cannabis company, don't let taxes be your death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that's a, that's a really good one. And you know, what's funny is since we have traveled so, so much, we have, you know, experience in the North American market, which, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know in the U S specifically, whatever state you're operating in, whether their market is fully medical, adult, uh, hemp only, you know, it, it does affect, um, you know, your bottom line. It affects your OPEX costs when you're thinking about these, these tax implications. So that's huge. And I think, you know, kind of segueing into some of the mistakes that cannabis cultivators, specifically cultivation companies make, is uh, underestimating the time frame of regulations in your market. I think that one is a really big one. Um, for instance, you know, working in the UK, the UK is probably the slowest when it comes to rolling out the regulations, rolling out um, a framework for how these operators can operate and rolling out licensing. Um, licensing is like pulling out teeth in the UK. <laughs> and not to mention, you know, you'll have all these investors that will invest into mm-hmm. a, a cultivation company and You'll start to build out your your um, facilities and everything like that. And lo and behold, you won't be able to do anything until the home office comes and does their inspections. Yeah. And um, MHRA comes on site, does their inspections. And a lot of these uh, these offices are backlogged uh, due to, you know, just application flooding due to the pandemic, whatever the reasons are. And then now you have this huge, glorious facility with no plants, with a few people on staff. And you're hemorrhaging and, and you will, you know, essentially shut down. So I think to really understand the market that you're going into and to, you know, have those relationships that you're starting to set up with some of those regulators, with uh, some of the political figures that are pushing the lawmaking in those markets, I think that's extremely important. In the U.S., you didn't really have as much issue there because once, you know, California and Colorado got off right. the ground, all the states just kind of rolled out from there. But, you know, with with states that are much more or excuse me, countries that are much more conservative, like the UK, um, you do have to know what you're getting into before you get into it. And then in Europe as well, Europe is similar to the states uh, now where you have um, a truncation of market regulations, but you do have much more movement going on. Um, One Mm -hmm. of the biggest ones has been the fact that the THC limit has been raised for um, hemp based products. 
um, across Europe by the European industry uh, industrial hemp association. So barely, that was barely. It was barely, barely. yes, but it's progress. It's, it's progress, it's progress yes, nonetheless. That's yep, that's right. Yes, progress nonetheless. And so that's something to be you know said. And you have you know markets like Germany that are now looking at adult use legalization. You have Spain that's doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. Portugal's doing fantastic. And I think they're becoming a bit more of the model to places like Malta, Switzerland, Italy. Mm-hmm. So you you are starting to see a lot of um, comparison and a lot of essentially copy paste from what was mm-hmm. going on in the States to what's going on globally. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And that, um, uh, that disconnect between the UK and Europe is endlessly fascinating. <laughs> endlessly is is definitely the word um, <laughs> once you've actually like kind of experienced it socially the word endlessly is perfect <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just it's, it's yeah it's a lot of these dynamics that yeah when brexit happened that no one really thought you know like what's the big deal how's it going to change much mm-hmm. well, it changed quite a bit oh, yeah. um yeah that's that's fascinating and I've definitely seen in projects that I've been a part of that timing is, can be challenging when starting up a business, mm-hmm. especially when a lot of people that are in the cannabis space are super, super passionate and eager and ready to get going. Um, and so I've, I've kind of seen this play out myself where companies, they form an awesome team. Sometimes I've been a part of those teams and um the yeah, plans yeah. are laid and then and money is promised and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you hit a wall and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and then i mean your team can only wait for so long before they start to you know um look for other opportunities and things um and then the whole plan starts to become kind of a um knife juggling act you know or if you ever heard the the phrase of like um uh, catching knives, you know, it, it kind of becomes the situation where you're juggling and trying to catch all these moving pieces, but it just kind of ends up killing you. Um, yeah. Be, you know, because it just kind of becomes glass shards rather than, you know, this nice, uh, you know, um, uh, mural <laughs> that was put together. I like, in the that. I like that. Yeah. The shrapnel of time itself. Yeah. Yes. Because time yeah. is money. It is. Yeah. It time absolutely is, is. Yeah. And that's um, what, kind of the other problem that we've noticed is the funding piece. Yes. But go ahead, Jason. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go for it. Yeah, no, follow that train of thought. Yeah, it's just that the, the other thing that I've noticed is funding is a lot of companies, they don't do the right thing with the investment money. And with some companies, mm-hmm. that's by design. Yes. <clears throat> yep. Moving mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and some some people, they don't know that they need to obtain enough capital. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're trying to be modest when they go into the you know, to the loan office or when they're applying for loans or when they're talking to venture capitalists and investors, they're, they're thinking, well, I know I don't want to ask for too much money because then I might not get it. You know, mm-hmm. I think what you need to really be worried about the, the more than that is getting enough money to obtain the license and being dangerous to yourself by not having enough money. Yeah. Um, you don't, you don't, you don't want to step up to the free throw and shoot an air ball when they're offering you $50,000 in the halftime to, to make that one shot, you know, they call you out down right. from the seat. 
They're like, oh, you make this one free throw shot. We'll give you $50,000. And you're like, cool. I'm just going to shoot it halfway into the key. Why? <laughs> you know, don't be so modest. Yep. Give it, give you it, know? give it the full shot. Yeah, exactly. Give it the full shot. Yeah. Um, and another thing is that whenever people do get the money, let's say they do get enough money to actually see this thing through, they get a bonk consultant mm-hmm. who's just some whack dude, some wackadoodle with a great website, and they don't really know what they're doing. And Alicia and I have seen this more than twice or three times. Had to fix it. (laughs) And so we'll see somebody create millions of dollars of a problem, dude. Yeah. Straight up just a remediation nightmare. Yeah. And then the people who hired the guy, it is kind of hard to get their money back from him because they paid him just under the legal limit to like even go try to extrapolate that back from him and add it back out of his pocket. Mm -hmm. But now they're stuck with this million dollar problem that they might not have enough liquid cash to go and fix because that was their parachute. And so now they're in a big jam. Yeah, um, yeah they, you know, they pay, pay tens of thousands of dollars for a million dollar problem. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Big facts. So even more than that in some cases. Yeah. Um, crazy. Uh, you know, and then they get equipment maybe that can't really follow through with the throughput. Um, they use the money to hire their friends or their family to do jobs that they've never done before. You know, mm-hmm. that's their boy. And you know, and, and, and that actually brings me to a, a, another point is that networking skills. Mm-hmm. When you're starting a business, networking with all the people you used to know. I, my background, I'll just be honest with you. My background was rolling blunts, riding around in a car, listening to loud music, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So I in no way moving forward need to consult with these people, hire my friends or even some of my family members that, that are kind of smart when it comes to like their opinions on other businesses. But when sure. it comes to actually operating and running your own, you need to move forward. Yeah. Networking has nothing to do with the way things look. It has everything to do with the way things are going to be. So you yeah. need to be able to network with politicians, with lawyers, with other people who have extremely successful businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how you network and networking is uh, probably one of the unsung heroes of success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's your, uh, your community that you build is ultimately that's what supports your success. Um, I, yeah, I think those are really excellent points. And I've seen um, again in my own consulting and everything, I've seen this kind of situations you're describing too of, when you do actually have the money, how do you spend it? And mm-hmm. I've also seen plenty of situations where the people that are in the positions to control spending don't actually have any understanding of the operations of the business at large or the long term, mm-hmm. what it's going to take to achieve the long term vision. And uh, so sometimes like the wrong people are controlling uh, uh, the cash you know, distribution and everything. Um, and, uh, that can be extremely frustrating, um, when you see that the resources are there, but they're just not being allocated in a way that's, that supports anyone's success. Um, what about, um, one thing that's on my mind, again, thinking about scalability. So cultivators that have maybe been accustomed to 
uh, you know, growing in medical markets or something a little smaller and are now scaling up and trying to do these much larger grows, especially in the hemp space, you know, companies are doing very large grows, often trying to seek um, cannabis cultivators to run those. Um, are there any particular problems that you've seen um, just with the scaling process, um, just to, in growing? Oh, absolutely. Um, so one of the things, you know, number one, I think to just segue into this is one of the fundamental mistakes a lot of people make when they get into this industry is not understanding that it is a scientific industry. It uh -huh. is a scientific yeah. business. Um, so when you have a whole bunch of directors and chiefs running the show that come from accounting or law, um, not saying that their their voice and their perspective is not you know welcome and needed. Um, absolutely, there's a lane for you know law and accounting and um, public relations, all those different things. But when it comes to making data driven decisions about a crop that fluctuates depending on season, environment, people, all those different things, you need to have scientists in your leadership roles, if not running your company because that is going to be the detriment of your of your company. So one of the things that I've noticed um, just in, in the past of working with um, you know, different cultivation companies, when it comes to the scalability piece, I can't stress enough how important it is to do small scale trials. It doesn't mm -hmm. cost mm -hmm. that much money. Yeah. You can easily you know, outfit a small area yeah. of your grow and say, okay, we're gonna try out the genetics of this guy first and see how it takes to our soil medium that we use and how it takes to our nutrient ratios that we already have and how much water and lights, blah, blah, blah. And then try to calculate that. So go about that data from that trial. Then, you know, if you have consultants like Chris and I, this is one of the things, again, that differentiates us is that we like to do everything from calculation and from data. We don't yeah. like to do anything from Google and copy and paste. That is most <laughs> consultants. Yeah. So for us, yeah. you know, we're going to we're going to help you understand, OK, what are you doing now? If you're not doing anything, OK, we'll help you design the experiment. Mm -hmm. This is how you're going to design that small trial. This is how much it's going to cost you to do that small trial. This is going to this is going to be how much time it takes to do that small trial. But now that you've done that small trial and you've spent that time, you now have a benchmark. You now have footing to be able to say, okay, let me go to my spreadsheet. Let me calculate up what I'm gonna need per square footage. What am I gonna need per plant in that square footage? And what am I gonna need as far as resources go when I'm scaling this guy? Uh, a lot of people, they just jump in and they go big or mm -hmm. they end up going home because they go big too fast and they yeah. don't have the data to back up the size of, of the grow. And if anyone out there has ever managed a large grow in, in a, a, a controlled environment or not controlled environment, things can get out of control yeah, extremely quickly. quickly, extremely yeah. quickly. As soon as you have one plant that's sick, your whole bay is sick. And now you've lost thousands and thousands of dollars on your opportunity cost. And that just that 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 kind of depends too, because I've I've seen a rather large grow with a completely disgustingly sick plant smack dab in the middle of everything, and um, the rest of the plants were just fine. Mm -hmm. But that that kind of also segues right into genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of companies I think with the 
the cultivation side of it, they want the genetics that are going to give them a certain smell. Uh, they, they want the genetics that are going to give them that phenotype for mm -hmm. the photograph. Because let's be honest, man, everybody's okay. doing it for the gram these days, whether it's <laughs> yeah, Instagram absolutely. or the cannabis gram. <laughs> like, they're just doing it for the gram. So um, I think genetics, like genetically, you need to look for strong species, a good strong species. And we're talking about plants here. Let's not get funny. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about plants. So, um, genetics is a huge thing. And, uh, and I, I hear a lot of people, you know, first of all, I, I will first just say that I don't know everything. I love how much I learn all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. I learn all the time that I know a lot more than a lot of people, but I know a lot less than some people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. those are the kind of people I try to put myself in the room with because, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, the whole LinkedIn conversations, they kill me, man. Oh, it's so <laughs> funny to read through it all. You know, yeah. you, you see the word trichomes, the trichomes and terpenes and the terpene trikes, the trike terps. And yes. It's like, man, you're not sounding smart, you know, or, you know, talking about <laughs> genetics while you're talking about the way a plant looks. That's not the genetics. That's the phenotypical, you mm -hmm. know, expression of the plant. The way it looks is cool and that can lead you to a, to a great genetic discovery, sure. But um, I really think people are wanting the wrong things from the plant mm -hmm. they really do um and and i think since like i mentioned everybody's doing it for the gram man everybody just wants to say they have the prettiest plants well i've seen some of the most ugly yes. hideous plants yep. do uh, better mm -hmm. than some of them beautiful things mm -hmm. um and and then they'll take these you know and and this is i gotta be careful because you know like i say i know a lot less than some people but i know a lot more than a lot of other people so um, I, in my humble opinion, I think planting an entire football field size room with a whole bunch of plants, you're just asking for a nightmare, man. You, I mean, just think about, you know, you are not Hannibal, okay? <laughs> and I'm not talking about Hannibal Lecter. I'm talking about Hannibal, the leader of the army of Carthage. It's a very important distinction. Uh, <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. Hannibal decided to attack Rome from the northwest through a passage in the Alps. If you know anything about the Alps, it's a very sharp, cold, unforgiving mountain range. And Hannibal decided he was going to take his army through there to attack Rome. Well, he took North African war elephants with him over the Alps. This is a big, this is the hugest military yeah. maneuver in history. Yep. Like, what are you thinking, dude? But, you know, he lost a lot of assets, but he made it through. And, you know, again, I'm not going to name any companies, but you can see how a lot of other cultivation companies that thought they were like football field side geniuses, and it totally destroyed them. Mm -hmm. You know, you're yeah. not Hannibal, man. Chill out. Um yeah. Well, and some it, of the numbers the side, I hear, I hear some of these companies talk about, you know, that they want to grow, you know, they want to fill up a, um, you know, 50,000 square foot warehouse with all these plants. They want to be flipping, you know, X amount of pounds every three months or so. And um, I always just wonder, like, why? Why, why do you think you need 
some of this turnover and volume and like, do you actually have a place for it to go? Or are you just crunching numbers in a room somewhere and you think that like, okay, yes. per, per plant, we might get this much weight and then we've got this many plants. And so thus it's worth, you know, all this money, but it's not worth anything if you have nowhere yeah. for it to go. And a free consultant tip really quick. If you're designing a really huge facility anywhere outside of Columbia right now, your cost per gram is monstrous. It's, it's a monster compared yeah. to the price per gram that they're cultivating right now in, in places like Columbia, but I'll use Columbia specifically as a mile marker, as, as, a, as a landmark. And you, you could be in big trouble, dude. All it takes is one day for rules and regulations of mm -hmm. transportation to change, importing and export laws to change in one day, and your whole facility is kaput. Yeah. Because now they can bring in other flowers mm -hmm. from other places at a cheaper cost. Mm -hmm. They can extract them, they can get their oils, they can make their products. And, and you know, since business is all about money, they're not going to have like some warm heart to you to say, oh, well, I don't want them to go out of business. No. Mm -hmm. They're not going to care. A lot of European companies, that's the that's the main business model right now is to be able to um, set up grow in Latin America and be able to export back into Europe because of the high taxes, because mm. of the, the high regulatory framework and, and mm -hmm. the regulations and things. And so eventually you will start to see some importation of uh, cannabis goods coming in from areas where you can produce it a lot cheaper. But to kind of come back to your point about, you know, why does everyone think they have to have this huge grow? Why do they think they have to turn and burn in three months? It really does come down to just capitalism. Everyone has a place for that to go. And that is in their pocket to recoup mm -hmm. back that investment as quickly as possible or to start trading publicly on a stock exchange somewhere as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. It isn't, you know, yeah. we're going to build this business because there's a medicinal need here in this market, or there's just a need recreational in this market, and we're going to let the plant do what it does, and we will capitalize off of the plant's natural evolution. Instead, they're forcing it, they're pushing the plants harder than they, they can go, and that's one of the reasons why you have potency averages in, you know, the mid teens to the mid 20s most of the time across these producers because they're being pushed. They're not being nurtured mm -hmm. into their their natural evolution of things. So, I mean, that's my two cents on why you've got the number crunchers and the guys that are like, turn and burn as fast as yeah, you can. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, we got to get paid. Yeah. We, we dumped a lot of yeah. money into this thing. Make it happen. Yeah. Well, and, and this raises an interesting point. You know, you just brought up how as the global market evolves and borders dissolve a bit and export-import is uh, easier, how that changes dynamics. So what should companies, companies that want to stay alive through all of this transition that are thinking like they want to be 30, 50, 75-year, 100-plus-year brands, how do they plan to operate in a global market while also having to focus, you know, short term on a local market? I think that's a very interesting problem to have to juggle as a, you know, yeah. um, a CEO or an operations officer or something that's having to think about how to just ensure a business stays alive, especially if they're not planning for an exit, you know, if they're not planning to sell the yeah. company. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
You know, I quit looking at the horizon. Mm. Stop. Stop. Look around you. You know, it's good to have global experience, but you need to be locally focused. One hundred percent. If you can't produce a quality craft product, you're done. Cannabis culture does not tolerate, for a lack of better words, trash weed. Yeah. Like people, you know, everybody wants to quit using words like weed and stuff like that. But I mean, come on, growing up, none of us said cannabis. We always asked if you got some good <laughs> weed. So like, like for real, um, moving forward um, to survive long term. If you can find those good genetics that I was talking about, strong plants and not just beautiful plants, mm -hmm. but good, strong plants that can give you um, exactly what you're looking for is ter in terms of cannabinoid content, total cannabinoid content, too, because yeah. if you have a good extraction process, then you can um, you can deal with that on the back end as far as what you're separating. Mm -hmm. yep. and, and when it comes to flower, yeah, flower power. That will never go away. Flower power will never go away. So as long as you can locally outdo everybody else with your flower, you're going to win. And then you can look at the horizon. Mm -hmm. you, can take, you can take a step over into La La Land and build out your next facility because you have mastered your craft. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Move on. You know, there's a couple companies that I think have done that, and I won't say their name either. But I think I think they're doing a pretty good job. Like they they hone in on what they're good at. Mm -hmm. They do it really well. They become the masters of it. They got nobody messing with them at the moment. And if they're smart, then they'll start patenting more and more of their process because they are getting more and more competition. And then you can move down the street. And yeah. then once you've done that, you can move down the street again. Yeah. And, and and so on and so forth. But everybody's trying to go so big right out mm -hmm. the gate without having mastered anything and it's unrealistic ambitions yeah you know it, it truly is unrealistic ambitions to halfway build a facility halfway get a couple batches out halfway get some revenue in and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden now you have a license in europe you know that that doesn't make it's not best practices in business period your yeah. your business has to be focused at let's get home correct Let's, you know, make sure that everything we're doing here is sustainable. And once it's sustainable, then now you even have a cash cow to fund your venture into yep. the global markets, to fund um, some of your R&D efforts that you want to do with said university or whatever. But to, to come into it and just have this almost puffed up business ego of, mm -hmm. yep, I set my canvas company up in 90 days and now I'm in Switzerland. It's like, <laughs> that makes no sense. You know, that doesn't make any sense at all. So you have to be sensible and you have to really implement best business practices before you decide to start scaling your business up into other markets. Yeah, no, I, I really like that focus on figure out what you do well and master it before thinking about where to go next. I think that's uh, really good advice. And I think there's a you know, in marketing, there's um, the first mover advantage. And I think in the cannabis industry, people are um, overly motivated to be first movers or to be, you mm -hmm. know, like you said, to register these international licenses and say, we are a global cannabis company. We, you know, do this. Mm -hmm. 
um, but it's more optics than actual um, execution. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so hopefully folks that are listening to this that maybe are involved in, in companies or thinking about starting a company or investing in a company, um, I think that's really, really good advice. And I, I tell people when it comes to the cannabis industry, a lot of it, it can be very valuable sometimes to just sit and wait and watch and keep doing what you're doing, but just just keep you know watch how the market's unfolding. Like you said, regulations can change so fast. So you could have a business operation plan put together that could be undone by some change in regulation. And if you're managing a lot of different operations, especially across different states, different countries. Um, that complexity starts to compound very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, even so like now I'm in Mississippi, now that Mississippi's legalized medical marijuana here, and I'm helping some companies. And um, that's advice I've given to them because they want, everybody wants to jump in to the market here, you know, immediately and be some of the first big companies. And I'm like, you can do that, but also you may actually save a lot of money and learn a lot of things if you go slow and just mm -hmm. watch and see what happens. I, I don't think you're going to be shut out of the market if you don't, you know, try to like rush in and dominate. Um, and it's it's just funny how uncomfortable a lot of um, investors and and business operators are with that advice. Like, but but it's yeah. rolling out and we're going to be left behind. I'm like, you're not going to be left behind. This is going to be playing out and changing for years and years and years. And there's going to be opportunity to, to leverage what you do well in that space. And it's better to have a better perspective and understanding of what you want to do and how you can add value rather than just rush in to do something. Um, I think that's like antiquated thinking, you know, it's like, in my opinion, brands, uh, not just, you know, obviously in cannabis, but, you know, brands over the years, that was always their, their stick. It was like, you know, let's be the first one out, the first yeah. one that cons mm -hmm. the consumer see, and then we'll, we'll grow that way. But the consumer has shifted and changed dramatically mm -hmm. over the mm -hmm. last, you know, 50, 70 years where it doesn't matter that you have the stamp of I'm the first. What matters yeah. is, are you actually producing dank products? Are you actually, you know, it? you can come out. It's just like the drafts. Like we're seeing a huge shift in like sports drafting. Most people mm -hmm. used to look at, oh, they were a first round pick and they're going to be the best, right. the best ever. But when you look at Tom Brady's career, he was like way down on the list as a draft pick. So mm -hmm. if you take that, you know, kind of example and apply that to your business thinking, it doesn't matter what place you actually jump into the race. It's mm -hmm. how your quality is as a as a racer and it's yep. how your marketing is as a racer. Is it speaking to the consumer? Because the consumer today could care less that you were the first if you're only putting out 14, 15% THC in some super dark vape carts. They're gonna look at the guy that came out, you know, two and a half years later with the super liquid gold. It's got everything in it that it says it has in it. It tastes great. They only produce, you know, a small batch. So I have to wait and get in line. Mm -hmm. You know, those things I think are so much more important to the cannabis consumer than was, was this producer first. Yep, absolutely. And you know, the, the, a lot of that comes from, there was a great book, um, but it is getting a little dated now uh, called the 22 immutable laws of marketing. And you know, the number one law is the first 
mover advantage. But there are 21 other uh, immutable laws of marketing. And one of the things that that book um, points out that I think people forget is that um, while the first mover advantage is really helpful in getting you attention, like that's, you know, and marketing is about getting attention. Um, right. You know, you have, it has to be backed up by all these other things. And if you don't have that advantage, there's still a ton of other, and in this book, you know, 21 other like big things you can leverage um, to get that attention. And it's not all, it's not all yeah. about, you know, just being the first. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's really, really important for people to consider, especially given the amount of money uh, that people are um, spending to get these businesses started. And, you know, some people taking out second mortgages on their houses or selling their houses or taking on investors that, you know, they really have no business working with um, right. and taking on, you know, debt loads that are just astronomical. Um and it can all be exciting, but that excitement dwindles really, really quickly when you start looking at who you've got to pay back. And uh, Chris, I'm so glad you brought up the issue about taxes um, because that is a surprise for so many businesses. They're like, all right, I need to pay the investors, got to pay all this stuff. And then the IRS is like, yeah, you also owe us like $150,000. Um, so mm -hmm. pay up, son. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's, yeah. It's different in that bracket, you know, they, yeah. they can tax different business types, different ways yep. and yep. tax breaks are a real thing. But if you're running a cannabis business, there are no. it's, it's, it, if there are, there are very few right. and they can also kind of like run those out and expire those like a coupon in the back of a magazine, man. Mm -hmm. yep. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I see that we're we're coming up on the hour. So just like Alicia said before we started recording, <laughs> uh, the way these conversations go, we get going and I look down and I'm like, ah, <laughs> we're, we're an hour <laughs> in, time to wrap up. That's exactly what happened this time. I look down, we're 59 minutes in. <laughs> um, well, to, to start to um, wrap a lot of this together, I think we've covered a lot of really good points. And this conversation, it's nice because... I don't know, taking the time to reflect on experiences that we've had in consulting and, you know, trying to extract some of the, the gems out of there for people to learn from. It's been refreshing, uh, especially because as consultants, like we work in different fields and you always wonder, like, do other people have these same experiences with these companies? And it turns out, yes, they do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's refreshing to, to hear some of the stories, but um, as we sum up here, I guess, what would be some of your primary words of wisdom for emerging cannabis companies today? Um, you know, what's the cherry on top of everything that we've said here? And I think uh, it could be um, cautionary in nature, but maybe also um, optimistic. Here's an optimistic um outcome if you call chris and alicia <laughs> yes. we will make it right <laughs> this, is, this is a shameful plug to ourselves yeah definitely call us that's that's my plug here at the end call. or because we're, we're like globally located email 
<laughs> email us. That would be faster. <laughs> <laughs> Call us. We might be asleep. Uh. <laughs> no, it's it's um, the nice thing about what we do is that we do have the opportunity to look upon so many different companies and what they're doing across the globe. So we're able to give that real world experience, that real world data that says why you shouldn't do this or why you mm -hmm. should do that. Um, I think it's so important to really get to know the people that you're hiring on. If you are in a position of hiring a consultancy, do your due diligence. You know, don't just look for the one that was first moving in their market. Um, yeah. Look for the people that uh, have some say so in some of the publications that we're in or they're on podcasts like yours, Jason, you know, where we're educating people. Um, and there, you know, there's a lot of consultants out there that are selling, um, you know, crap. They're selling crap mm -hmm. and they're expecting large payouts for that crap. And then it puts you in a, a more risky position than you were before you even started. And this industry is extremely complex. Like I said before, it's extremely scientific. So even that piece, uh, make sure your consultant has that scientific background to be able to validate a lot of yeah. the um, operational challenges that you're going to face whenever you're cultivating, extracting, um, doing analysis, whatever your business model is, you know, that's the nice thing about Chris and I is he comes from an operational background and obviously cannabis cultivation. And I come from a laboratory background with, you know, um, project management and GLP and build outs and things like that. So together, collectively, we're able to give experience and not just bullet points. Uh, yeah. if you will. And I think one of the um, cautionary things, cautionary takeaways is just, you know, take your time. You know, if you walk yeah. into, this is, I think, a good example. I really enjoy cooking and I absolutely can taste the difference when someone has spent hours slow roasting something or hours mixing and chopping and preparing something, you can taste the love that went into that food versus whenever you, uh, you know, microwave something really quickly, like a mm -hmm. microwave lasagna, you can yep. taste the difference. So if I could caution everyone listening, just take your time. The market is not going anywhere. It's maturing. And yeah. you don't want to be one of those people that gets out there so fast that regulations kill you or bad business practices kill you or all those different things that, you know, hemorrhaging money will cause you to shift and change and cut corners. Just take your time. Slow cook. Slow cook everything. I like that. Yep. Slow cook. Be a That's, crock pot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> be a crock pot, not a microwave. <laughs> be a, be a crock pot. Yeah, be a crock pot, not a microwave. That'll have to be the title of this episode. I love that. And if, uh, yes. if, if, folks, if folks do want to reach out to you, um, what's the best email, website, all of that good stuff to try to get a hold of you? Go to our website. We just got it a little bit updated. Um, matter of fact, at the top of it, you will see a bar that you can click on to go to the next online symposium hosted by Analytical Cannabis for nice. hers truly. Alicia Ratliff will be giving a talk on um, equipment titled, These Are Not Toasters and Blenders. Yes. <laughs> go to our website. Yes. <laughs> yeah, our website is www.victus.com hyphen cv.com. Yep. And you can find um, not only on the website, can you email us, schedule a meeting. Uh, you also can find our hyperlinks to our socials, 
We're on LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram. Um, so that'll give you a good idea of our industry contributions and, and what we do. Um, like I said before in the intro, we're building beyond cannabis. So even if you're thinking about uh, just a testing laboratory or um, you're getting into environmental, you're getting into biotech, um, we definitely are putting our fingers in those pots now. So um, reach out. We'd love to talk to you about your project. Tell us Jason sent you. We'll give you a discount. Yes. And we'll also go. give Jason a fee. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most yeah, excellent. Yeah. I'm on board. Discount code. Jason sent us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will not argue that. Um, well, uh, best of luck to you. And something I, I meant to mention, you you Elisa, you mentioned uh, need, you know, the industry being science focused. I saw an article you were in recently uh, or that you wrote about how scientists need to be CEOs. Um, I don't know how old that article was. I remember coming across it, but um, man, I have thought that so many times. Um, particularly in industries like this. Um, I think that uh, scientists in particular get, um, don't get the credit that they necessarily deserve in terms of what they could do for um, business management and um, operations management. Um, so uh, thank you for that article because I appreciated it when I saw it. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so anyway, Chris, Alicia, thanks so much for being willing to come on the podcast today. Um, everybody listening, go check out Victus and and follow Alicia and Chris and keep up with their adventures. Um, and if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, you can always find us at CACpodcast.com. And we're on all the socials as well. Look for us on um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And uh, with that, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds, and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.